Welcome back to the Wrong Advice Podcast. I'm your host, John Picciuto, and I'm very excited to have the man, the myth, the legend himself, Jason Roman, a.k.a. Mr. Stock Easy on Instagram. Jason, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, brother. I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on here. Uh, it's always a pleasure to sit down and talk about the work. Oh, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. If you can, can you give a quick introduction to the listeners? Uh, so my name is Jason Roman. I'm born and raised in New York City. Uh, I was born in Harlem. Grew up in Brooklyn in the Bronx. I picked up a camera about five, six years ago, and um, I've been shooting ever since, and I'm now a Leica photographer. Um, I'm a New York ambassador for the brand, and uh, things have been on the up and up as of late. That's awesome. Yeah, I, uh, I I was telling you before we hopped on the pod today that you are one of the very first people when I hopped into this photography journey that I found on YouTube. And it was probably an X100F video or an X-T2 video, something about your journey with Fuji. And I had just kind of sold my Canon 60D, I want to say, you know, my like very mm -hmm. first introductory camera. And I got into Fuji because, you know, street photography was a thing that I kind of fell in love with, um, you know, via a number of documentaries that have like, you know, really set my soul on fire. But talk to me a little bit about your, your photography journey. You know, you said you picked up a camera five or six years ago. Like what was the process like? What were you doing before that? And kind of how did you get bit by the, the creative bug? Well, <clears throat> actually, one of my homies, uh, Tyler Christopher Brown, gave me um, his old Canon Rebel T3i because I was interested in, I was still studying acting at the time, um, well, actually, I was just out of acting school, and I, I kind of was getting the bug to film something. So I wanted to get a camera so that I can like make videos. I didn't even I didn't even really intend on shooting or anything like that, and um, that ended up turning into me feeling a bit impatient, waiting for other people to create things. And uh, there was a book that I had owned that a friend introduced me to, which was uh, Bruce Davison's Subway. Oh, nice. I still think it's one of the greatest depictions of New York ever. Um, cause it feels like the way I grew up in New York in 1980s and I always looked at this book, but for some weird reason, this one particular day, this book was kind of staring at me and I was just like, you know, this camera takes pictures. <laughs> so <laughs> I went outside and started taking pictures with this Canon camera and, um, <clears throat> it was just exactly what I was looking for. The experience, the people in the streets were talking to me. They saw me kind of walk, watching this wall and a I took this photo of this guy with his hands in his pocket wearing against this really uh, contrasty yellow wall and it was shadows and all this stuff. And these guys saw me take the photo and they came over and they were kind of drunk. It was the Lower East Side. And the dude took off his Jordan and he was like, yo, yo, take my picture. And it just became this thing where I was like, oh, wow, this camera is kind of giving me access to something that like, you know, born and raised in New York. It's you talk to strangers, but you don't really tap in in that way. And uh, that to me was like the adrenaline and the access was everything. So I caught myself outside every single day shooting. And then it got to the point where this camera was too big. So I needed something a little more compact. So I started doing all this research and I came across Leica. And I was like, a fucking $10,000 camera. Jesus <laughs> Christ, what the fuck? Why is a camera $10,000? And then I came across the X-Pro2 and I ended up... Uh, <clears throat> renting an X100T for a little bit, and then I bought my first uh, Fujifilm camera, which was the X-Pro2. And after that, it was all history because I had something light and compact. I never, ever, 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 ever walked out of my house with a camera on me. 
That's awesome. Yeah, it was the X-Pro2 video, not the X-T2. I do remember it vividly because yeah. I own that camera. I, I, ha I went through the entirety of, like, I guess, every aspiring photographer's uh, YouTube journey. So you start in, uh, you know, a DSLR world. You downsize to something smaller, more compact in the mirrorless landscape. Um, I actually did purchase my dream camera, which was a Leica M6, which I very sadly had to let nice. go in the last year. Oh, um, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, you know, the, the world is a little bit different one. and the money is a little bit more important than it was you know 12 months ago um but I, I, what i find so interesting is like everyone has like very similar paths in terms of like how they get upon these journeys so for you what i like to kind of like drill into is like what was it about those experiences that you had on the street you know when was it like the first photo that you can think of in your mind that was like wow i'm actually really good at this i've got an eye for this and i can make mm. a career out of that well, <clears throat> wow, that's interesting because I don't know that those thoughts ever particularly crossed my mind. Oh. I think I was so invested in what I was doing that when interest and money started coming, it was constantly a surprise uh -huh. because um, I just never thought it would be something I could make money off of. My, my path in life was supposed to be so different. <laughs> At least that's what I thought, you know, and um, that's why it's always so interesting to me when people ask for advice about photography i'm just like I, the one thing that i think is crystal clear is that there is no blueprint mm -hmm. there's no there's no lines that you can trace there's never going to be a story that's similar where it's like oh go to school and then do this it's like you just don't know what's going to happen um uh but i do remember having a conversation with a friend one day running into her because my instagram went from being personal to just being photography and this was a pivotal moment because she was drunk and she was outside of this like place in the lower east side and she was like i like really i really like your photos like you know it's like so annoying like sometimes your friends buy a camera and then like all of a sudden you're like looking at all their crap and like <laughs> she was like she's like i genuinely look forward to like seeing your photos like i'm not annoyed by you and i was like wow i was like i didn't even think that people were thinking of me in that way so that was a moment where i started to take it a little bit more seriously mm -hmm. and um uh also with YouTube, because I always wanted to start a YouTube channel, right? So I, like I had uh, back in the day, always wanted to be a tech YouTuber because oh, nice. I love technology, right? So I was always had the Pixel phones, the Nexus phones, the OnePlus. I was always on the list for all that stuff, um, but I just never got around to starting that channel. So photography gave me that 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 initial push, and I, I don't know if it was my um, street photography settings video or the Ode Expo Two video, but one of them got like 25,000 views when I uploaded it. And I was like away with my girlfriend and like I left my phone upstairs in the bedroom and I went back up and I saw my phone. It was just like a million notifications. And I was like, <laughs> what the hell is going on here? And like, you know, there's just these, these, these things that happen. And I just kind of was like coasting through it. Cause I just loved photography, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, um, one more pivotal moment for me with my, with now what's happening with Leica is, um, one of the reps from Leica who had asked me to shoot a couple pieces on Ralph Gibson, she put a couple loner cameras in my hand. Um, I didn't really take it that seriously because I was very in love with my Fuji cameras at the time. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, aspiring to shoot Leica, it's very difficult. It's very expensive. And I wasn't there in my career, but I was assisting. And I knew that I loved photography and I was trying to figure out what it would be. Um, and maybe the reason why I never had that moment is because I was assisting people who were like, incredible portrait legendary like these guys were uber successful and the people that were teaching me photography were also masters of their craft masters of lighting so i never felt like anything 
amongst them. Right. <laughs> you know sure. what I mean? But mm-hmm. like that, that, that has a tendency when you're kind of in somebody's shadow sometimes. But, um, so Kieran was reaching out to me and I was like, Oh, this is really interesting. Somebody from Leica's interested in me, but they probably just want me to, who knows what it was. Um, but a friend of mine, Jason Momoa was shooting an ad for Leica at the Bowery hotel one day. And he asked me to come by to help out with some location scouting. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, sure, sure. I'll come by. And he got on the phone and he's talking to this woman and he's like, Oh, Hey, Kieran, he gets off the phone and I'm like, is that Kieran Carnani? And he's like, yeah. He's like, you know her? I'm like, yeah, that's my contact at Leica. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute. So the woman that's reaching out to me that's trying to hook me up with Leica cameras is talking to you. Yeah. I was like, oh, I got to take this more seriously. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty So funny. that was that was a huge moment. And that was probably about three years ago. So that's, that's awesome. when I started being like, oh, let me jump on the Leica boat for real, for real now. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I, listen, I'm a gigantic Leica fanboy. And, and the uh, I don't know if it's the FOMO or just the, the love for the brand and all that they have to you know, uh, what they mean to the photography world is like, it's an aspirational thing, right? It's not, mm-hmm. uh, it is obviously a luxury good based on the price, but, uh, you know, in consideration of other luxury products, whether it's like handbags or whatever, it's not that kind of thing because it's it's a tool. At the end of the day, it's like you're yeah. making art with these incredibly beautiful products. And uh, yeah, man, I'm such a huge fan. That's that's pretty awesome. Um, you, yeah, you I'm ca- a big fanboy too now <laughs> these days. So. Yeah, it's, it's kind of hard not to be. I mean, they're Megan, it's just some incredible stuff these days. It's it's inc- yeah. it's truly remarkable. Um, you mentioned you were like kind of working with like a number of really famous portrait photographers and like people whose careers like at the time were like obviously vastly ahead of where you were. Um, talk mm-hmm. to me a little bit about like what goes through your mind from a confidence perspective or perhaps from like an imposter syndrome perspective. Like because as you know, my bio says I'm a photographer, and then when you look at the work that someone like you have done in comparison to me, it's hard to believe believe that you and I have the same quote unquote job description, but talk to me a little bit about what the, <laughs> talk, talk to me a little bit about like what those feelings are like when, you know, you, Jason Roman, three year photographer are sitting in a room assisting some like huge names in, in the, the world of photography. Well, I mean, I think that's like, I, to say I was intimidated might be like the wrong sentiment because like, obviously there's so much there, but I'm working with those people because I want to learn. Mm-hmm. from them and i think one of the biggest issues right now with photography in this modern time is that people's their influences are all wrong mm. their inspirations are all wrong um you know i trust me i'm like i'm happy when someone says that they love my work and they that like i'm one of their favorite photographers but if i'm one of your favorite photographers then you're definitely not doing the work you know what i mean like you need to know about everybody that came before me and like when we talk about portraits, you know, a lot of people take portraits and they, they're so obsessed with shooting wide open and all this stuff. But like the people, the portrait masters that came before us, these guys don't know anything below F8, yeah, right. you know? So it's like, it's just a, it's, it, we're all product, a product of the times where it's like people want fast lenses, they want sharpness, they don't care about the artistic interpretation of the images. So for me, being around those people, my influences were so strong. The people that were inspiring me were so strong. And I'm lucky to have that because if I didn't, my work would look completely different. Hmm. You know, my colors wouldn't be the way my colors were if I didn't meet Norman Jean Roy. You know, Um, I wouldn't take a portrait the way that I'd take a portrait if I didn't meet Norman Jean Roy Um, or Zenith Richards. And these guys introduced me to other people that that like. So, for example, um, Paul Gilmore and Zenith Richards brought me on to be assistants to Norma Jean Roy. Norma Jean Roy is 
the male Andy Leibovitz. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason that they work for him is because Paul Gilmore and Zenith Richards used to assist Andy Leibovitz. So these guys are legends in the space. You know what I mean? I got to spend time with them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is knowledge that's constantly being passed down. So if your, your, your foundation is strong, then your work can eventually reflect that. But if you're consuming things that are just, you know, popular right now, kind of trendy, then your work might never reflect the greatness that you aspire to be. Oh, I love that. I'm, I'm super glad you brought that up because in like an Instagram, social media driven landscape, obviously a lot of careers or, you know, opportunities are, you know, made or broken v how many followers you have. What is your audience? Um, so talk to me a little bit about pressures that you have as an individual content creator, photographer, and what like that those feelings look like in terms of like when you go to post something on social when you make work do you have in yeah. the back of your mind any thought process about well you know this wasn't a well-received image because it didn't have x number of likes and, and shit like that yeah i mean <clears throat> that's something i struggle with a great deal uh, i think likes and photography and following is probably one of the worst things to ever happen for sure um <laughs> And it sucks because I'm born into it. I bought a camera when Instagram existed, right? So I'm all tangled up with likes mm -hmm. and user interaction and following and all that stuff. But I also am very aware of the negative side of all that. I, I, I knew way before I was ready that because of the attention I was getting that I thought my work was better than it was, Ooh. you know? Um, and I, I don't think a lot of people are aware of that. I think a lot of there's a lot of accounts out there with hundreds of thousands of followers and they don't know how to take a compose a proper image mm. you know what i mean and it's all color grading and cool that's fine whatever your artistic representation needs to be whatever you feel like it is that you're trying to convey with your image that's great but likes do not equate to you being a good photographer oh, right like that. whether or not you're going to share the image should not be the standard if it's a good image mm. <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. like there are other ways to go so i don't i you know i post once every few months because i try to not make instagram my standard it, it it's not going to define me as a photographer so um that is part of the struggle of wanting to share more but also at the same time not trying to get this thing to be the the mecca for me and whether or not my images were good or not so I, I i would like to transition more to using instagram as somewhat of a journal where i can just post my musings ah i love that i, I read something interesting and when uh, instagram was down a couple weeks ago for like the entirety of the day um about the importance of printing your work because at the end of the day like instagram is an application that could theoretically disappear at any moment's notice and then if you're an instagram photographer and the entirety of your portfolio lives on a social media app and that app no longer exists. Well, neither does your work. Um, so I'm super glad that you brought that up because it is something that, uh, as a new photographer, someone who's trying to gain their foothold in the industry and like grow, it's a daunting task to feel like that your work is not being appreciated because you're not getting a number of likes or followers. And I think that your, your context for those, uh, items are, are super important um, for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's, to put it in context, I meet people all the time who have smaller followings than me 
that do way more impressive stuff than me. You know, these guys are DPs on like big film sets. They're cinematographers. They're photographing people that like I would never have access to, and they have like 300 followers. <laughs> and it's because that stuff doesn't matter to them. Totally. When you're actually doing it, it doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> when you're actually doing it. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean so. that that is so fucking important and true. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm 35. I'll be 36 in a month, and I kind of stumbled. Oh, into, get out of here, same. Oh no way! Happy birthday! I'm, I'll be 36 on the 25th. I'm the 17th. That's fucking wild. <laughs> wow. Well, the 25th of November. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Oh, nice. December. Okay. Wow. So we're wow. close. We're close in age. Well, yeah. Happy early birthday. Um, that's yeah, so funny. <laughs> um, so like a lot of my life was sort of lived like go to high school, go to college, get a job, you know, get married, white picket fence. Now, thankfully, I never got married um, or bought a house. But you know, <laughs> <That's> the, <bullet. laughs> the entirety of your life is sort of planned out in front of you. Like, where are you going to be in five years? What am I doing uh, after college, etc.? Do you look at like your career um, today and look at where you started five or six years ago and and kind of gamify where you're going to be five or six years from now, or do you focus more on the present and kind of live um, and work in the moment? Well, I have always kind of so that's what's actually a really big topic for me these days because um, I think I'm someone that's kind of always coasted a bit and just let life take me where it was going to take me and that's also um one of the negatives of being in new york city is that it is a hamster wheel and sometimes you're just kind of running and you forget to look up and when you do look up you're like how the fuck did i get here <laughs> like this isn't what i wanted to do i'm shooting weddings like yeah. that's not why i bought a camera you know it just like that's it just has a tendency to do that sometimes mm -hmm. but um one of the benefits of the lockdown was that i got to consider those things and contemplate which direction I wanted to go to. I, I, I had the pleasure of being with Ralph Gibson um, and Ted Forbes uh, like about a month ago. We shot a couple pieces out in Sag Harbor with him and we're sitting around having lunch and uh, Ralph Gibson asked my girlfriend and then everybody around the table what what their life looked like in 10 years in four, in four sentences. Wow. You know? And he was like, where do you see yourself? Like, what? tell me what your life is in 10 years in four sentences. And of course, she didn't really have an answer. Nobody really had an answer within four sentences. But we all ended up wasting our four sentences. And the only thing that Ralph said as a rebuttal was, well, if you don't know, then you'll surely never get it. Wow. And that it's simple, right? But it's effective because a lot of us don't know and we're just kind of coasting, right? And it's like, if you don't know, how the hell will you ever get there? Yeah. So... That's something I'm really contemplating right now because, uh, as I said, I'm born into it with Instagram and all this stuff. And I've struggled with photography to be more conceptual with my work. Uh, when I started photography, because I was a techie, I learned all the technical aspects of photography. I mm -hmm. knew everything about the aperture and the shutter speeds and da-da-da-da. But I didn't focus on the art of it, mm -hmm. um, which is why I work as a professional and not an artist, as Rob Gibson would say. But <laughs> so my future is trying to dedicate myself more to the art of it all um, and blending the two, that technical aspect of who I am and the art and getting onto more sets and doing BTS for bigger picture films and things like that. So uh, alongside putting out some New York books that I'm also working on right now. Oh, awesome. Super happy to hear that. That's awesome. Um, when I look back at like what I've done over the course of my life, it's funny because like I, I, I very similarly think about how I kind of just ended up in this position, right? Like you lose a job in the middle of a pandemic, you just like, 
it gives you a really good opportunity to kind of like think about what the hell I want to do with the rest of my life. And, and that question from Ralph is, is very interesting. Um, I, I just actually bought a book that arrived today called, I think, Start at the End. So it's basically a book about like figuring out what you want and then starting there and working your way backwards. Um, and I'm very excited to read that. It's very appropriate to the, to the quote that uh, yeah. Ralph just yeah. said. Um, yeah. So f- th- this is a, a long-winded story to a question, but yesterday I almost got hit by a car and killed. It was crazy. Like legit crossing wow. the street in front of my apartment, person blew through a red light, passed within inches of uh, me, and this woman across the street gasped. And she was like, mortified about what happened i was like completely oblivious to what had transpired i had music on i was taking pictures didn't know what was going on and then i got home and i thought about it i was like holy shit i was like my life almost ended yesterday and i haven't done shit um and i thought it was a really good kind of gauge for where i feel from an artist perspective of like what have i accomplished now and where am i going with my art and it's like nothing and anywhere i want um so from from your uh art perspective from your photography what is like one thing that you've done to date that you're super proud of um i had faith in myself to be completely honest Mm. i uh i was bartending before i started really considering myself a professional photographer or videographer um and i just quit the bar just up and was like you know i just can't do this anymore and i took that leap of faith just to like see if i could make it work i knew that if it didn't work, that life would still be there for me. You know, mm-hmm. it's easy to get back into bartending in New York City or something else like that. But I think that's the single most important thing that I've done was just allowing myself the actual chance to be successful at something. I don't think a lot of people do that and they're kind of afraid to do that. Um, but I told myself I'd take two or three months to just give this a real, a real shot. You know, there was already some attention there. So I was working with something that had already built up. But uh, I went after it. And within a few months, I was already enjoying a better life. And I had been bartending for the last eight years. Yeah, that's really good news for someone like me who's giving himself a year to make this happen. So that's nice to hear. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's the reality. It's like how how often do we actually focus on the personal? A lot of of stories that people hide that are very successful is that – they were given opportunities or they came from from money or a lot of artists try to bury those pasts mm-hmm. but it's very difficult for someone that's come from nothing to make something of themselves when someone's not investing in their future or they don't have like you know imagine if none of us had a bill to pay and we were all photographers yeah you know what i mean like if you didn't have to split your time doing something else if you're a painter if you're a musician if you could stay at home and learn and practice all day long what a luxury that would be but there's so many people out there that have had that luxury but they don't factor that into their success yeah well it's easy to simply forget the hand up or the leg up in the world that some people are given Mm -hmm. and others aren't and i think part of the reason why i find the journey so rewarding is that i'm doing it on my own i don't have like you Mm -hmm. mentioned i don't have you know, a financial backer, like, you know, a mm-hmm. famous photographer uncle who's like, hey, come yeah. shoot XYZ celebrity. <laughs> yeah, right. Left all his Leicas <laughs> in the closet for me. <laughs> right. Right. I think that's that's what's made part of this journey super yeah. rewarding because it's like me doing it on my own. And uh, yeah. yeah. Well, that's good that you recognize that because I don't think a lot of people recognize that. And I think that's what can be so difficult about this, this hustle and trying to make it is that like, 
if you don't realize that a lot of people have had help and you're just looking at Instagram and going, oh, well, why aren't I that successful? <laughs> why can't I do that? That's a, it's not a good place to be mentally or oh, inspirationally. For sure. Oh, for sure. Um, I'm glad that you brought up inspirationally. What are like, I don't know if it's specifically to a photographer or a body of work that inspires you. Um, but being that you are one of my inspirations from a photography perspective, talk to me about that process of like what creatively excites you and what kind of gets you motivated to, uh, to make art. I appreciate that. Thank you You're for welcome. saying that. Um, I mean, you know, I look at a lot of photographers that come before me, um, people that have been shooting longer than I have. Uh, I think because it's so easy for people to buy a camera these days, I don't particularly find a lot of my peers to be that inspiration for me because I do think that what I realize about my journey is that I'm still trying to figure it out, hmm. right? So I haven't been shooting long enough to know what I want to say with my photography yet. And I'm not confused about that. And you know, people can take, I, I look at work and I'm like, this is a beautiful image. Right. But when I look at someone like a Ralph Gibson or Gordon Parks, um, the inspiration that comes from that, the knowledge of self that comes from those bodies of work is like so profound to me. And that's what I'm after. Um, so those, those are the kind of things that I seek inspiration from people that know themselves and they know what it is that they're trying to say about their work. Hmm. Um, so that's really important to me. Yeah. Finding I like, mentors. Yeah. I, I think the... It's funny because you can have so many creative inspirations from like your pocket, right? So like access mm -hmm. to Instagram, YouTube, whatever it might be, that there's an infinite number of um, people that can inspire you to create work. And I'm also really glad that you said about you're not sure what your work's trying to say yet because I struggle with that now um, because like I'm, as I'm just starting off and I'm trying to gain a foothold, like I mentioned, you know, you want to make images that are you know, truthful to who I am as an artist, but also something that's going to be like liked, right? I, I often mm -hmm. kid that one of my favorite photos that I've ever taken is a homeless woman behind her cart with all of her belongings and just like her barefoot covered in mud and dirt sticking out behind it. And it's like a powerful image. Like I, you know, if someone else took that photo, it'd be like, wow, this is a tremendous image. And it never is liked when I put it out there. And it's one of those things that you have to like, well, I have to consciously think about that the things that I'm creating or what I want to say doesn't necessarily need to be impacted by whether someone double taps a heart on a social media. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the hardest part of the journey is when you do um, start to question why you take the images you take. You know, um, that was one of the most difficult things for me when I started to ask myself, why? Why did I shoot that? You know what I mean? What does this image actually convey? What does it say about me as a photographer, about my perspective on the world? And um, it kind of stopped me from shooting for a while because I didn't know how to answer the question. And a lot of things that I was shooting started to feel superficial. Ooh. Um, so uh, I think that's kind of why I have strayed away from the abstract, the artistic frame, the silhouettes and all that stuff. And I focus on people, the subjects. I focus on, on subject first more than composition, more than lighting, because I know that I love people. That's why I photograph. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm interested in in um, a version of New York that doesn't exist that's fading. So when I go out to photograph, my point of departure, as Ralph would say, <laughs> is the people. Yeah. It's the New Yorkers. It's the dying breed. Um, so I know every time I press that shutter what it is that I'm trying to convey these days. You know? I'm, I'm appreciative that you said that because 
very similarly, I'm, I'm super not interested in making like a commercially viable photo. Like I'm very interested in being like drawn to the subject of what they are. And like, I put a lot, very little focus on like, where are they in the frame? What is, what am I trying to like mirror them as, et cetera. And I just am like focused on the, on the people. And, uh, that's cool that we have that in common. I, I like that. Yeah, um, yeah. obviously you shoot a lot with Leica. Um, talk to me about digital versus film. Um, cause I know you do do both, but they are obviously just you know, drastically different mediums. Um, do you kind of juggle between digital and film? Do you go out consciously some days with the film camera versus the digital? What's like your, your street process like? Yeah. I mean, shooting, shooting film for me is a very romantic thing. I shoot it when I'm like not being so, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Um, precious about capturing images if i go out for like a very serious day of shooting i want to shoot digital mm-hmm. because you know i'm a student of this stuff and I, I i need fast results and the reality is that film just isn't it's not fast enough for me uh, it doesn't fit into my lifestyle and my workflow so when i shoot film i have a bag in the fridge that all my exposures is just they go in the ziploc bag and maybe in a year or two from now i'll develop all that film and i'll have all these images that are really interesting um, but for now, I just don't, to me, it's not, it's not a priority in this moment. I, I, I'm, I'm in the moment of producing and, uh, the way for me to produce the fastest is to shoot digitally. Wow. I'm so surprised to hear that. I, I, I personally love shooting film. Like I mentioned offline, I, I sold my M6, which was like painful, but, um, the process of street photography in film is just super fun to me and rewarding mm-hmm. in that I never know if I got anything or if I just mm-hmm. fucking missed the focus, missed everything. I had it yeah. on 25 <laughs> shutter speed and I needed to be on 250. Like I just love that process. Um, yeah. I remember walking around uh, about a year ago and I found this guy shirtless playing guitar and I took an entire roll of film of him. And then the film got stuck in the leader and I couldn't get it out. And then I took there it to my go. lab and they couldn't like salvage it. And it was just blank. And I was like, fuck. But I also loved yeah. it because then it like gives me yeah. like a lot of love for the images that I am able to create, um, you know, when, uh, you know, the, everything falls into place in, in the right context. Yeah, and that, that's totally fine. Some people that that process is like it's everything for them. And I enjoy that process, you know, when I when I'm traveling and you know just being romantic like i said me and my girlfriend in greece i have a film camera it's yeah. like nice you know and i'm creating memories and like i take it out on some days where i'm i'm moving a little bit at a slower pace and i'm more contemplative mm. but the reality is is that if if i ever when i was shooting film more often i would bring a digital camera and a film camera which meant i was creating doubles oh. right so i would put black and white in my film on my digital i mean my film camera and shoot black and whites but if these doubles exist then it kind of negates the fact that i'm even shooting it so which is why i resort to saying you know what film is for the future hmm. for me digital is for the now and during the lockdown i had a conversation with ralph about this actually and he because i told myself okay i'm only going to shoot film during the lockdown that's it i'm going to process it i'm going to scan it i'm going to do the whole nine and i got through about six rolls and i stopped and i was asking ralph i said why don't you do you ever shoot film anymore and he was like no i, I haven't loaded film into my camera in 10 years and most of the people most of these legends most of these people that we know joe mayerwitz ralph gibson saw lighter before he died none of them shot film anymore because it wasn't practical back then when it was practical they had a whole newsroom or whatever 
whoever it was developing all their film and it didn't cost nearly as much as it doesn't it does now so he started talking to me about sacred land which is his latest book and he said he shot that entire book in two weeks he had wow. a whole he had like two assistants maybe and they went around israel and made this book and he said if i had to do that back when i was shooting film i would have needed i don't know 10 assistants and it would have probably taken me more than a month to create this book i mean to shoot it mm-hmm. and he's like the reality is nowadays I'm working off of ideas and my ideas move faster than the darkroom. And that's all he had to say for me to (laughs) basically put my film camera to the side. And I mean, I appreciate that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just in a space where I'm, I'm growing so fast. And what it is that I'm doing, and I can't have anything else slow me down. Oh, totally. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm I've been shooting exclusively digitally for the last year, just because you know I'm, I want to be a commercially viable photographer, mm-hmm. and that means in this day and age, shooting digital. And plus, like you know, when you, you take a massive pay cut from what I was earning to zero, you know, film's expensive. It's not exactly yeah. like oh, yeah. practical. Dollar shot. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. not as practical for sure. Um, mm. So you kind of came into my life digitally via, via uh, YouTube when I was first starting out. And I found your videos to be incredibly informative and like knowledgeable and like things that I were able to like take from a practical perspective and then use um, in my own work. Um, what's some tips and advice that you have for new photographers starting out on their journey um, besides don't start? <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't start. Don't do it. Uh, no. I mean, honestly, my tips are very pretty simple and straightforward. If you're shooting with anything that you can't afford to have on you all the time, sell it and go get something that you can have on you all the time. That is the most um valuable advice i can give anybody if there is a camera in your life right now that you have to think twice about bringing out sell it and get something smaller i don't care what it is get rid of it because it's holding you back um i used to think about walking around with my cannon all the time and i would be like well am i going to dinner tonight am i going to go get drinks who am i going to go see do i want this thing around my neck i'm going to the movie theater and it just it created a like a weight in my life and it, it made me shoot less than I actually wanted to. I wanted to be shooting more, but I found myself leaving that camera home a lot more than, than I would have. And if I never switched, I probably wouldn't be where I'm at now. You know, I wouldn't have put out the amount of work that I was able to put out by having this camera with me. Um, and then I would also say, uh, don't forget about what's immediately in front of you when you're photographing. You know, I think we all want to travel and do these beautiful images that are beyond our means but like some of the greatest photographers even like look at someone like Andre Wagner some of the greatest images he's put out are from a kid who lives right below him Mm -hmm. in Brooklyn yeah (laughs) you know what I mean like like there's stories all around you your family is probably more fascinating to all of us strangers than they are to you but you know start close yeah that's that's I think that's good context, you know. I uh some of my favorite images I've taken are of like my nieces and my nephew mm-hmm. and you know that didn't require me to hop on a plane and go to, you know, Marrakesh or, or Greece or wherever yeah. it is, you know. <laughs> Where I just came from. <laughs> oh, you just Oh, wow, that's so weird. Yeah. I bet I just subconsciously brought that up like from following that's you. Hilarious. That's so yeah, funny. No, I was in Marrakesh with Gadget and my brother and then uh 
Yeah, I just got back. I was traveling for like the last month. So All right, well, that's on my nice that, that's on my uh, my bucket list for sure. Just from a color perspective and life and vibrancy. Skip Marrakesh. Oh yeah. Yeah, go anywhere else. Okay. Maybe do a day or two in Marrakesh, Isawara, Fez, Tangier. Do do just Marrakesh is. They don't like photos, oh. and it's all about tourist traps. Ooh. It's a very difficult place to be. People will call out camera, camera people will fight you. It's just like, but all of Morocco is very beautiful. Marrakesh is just a very difficult place, especially if you want to take photos. Oh, wow. That's good to know. Um, yeah. Noted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I wish I would have found that out, but everything I came across, I was like, oh, it's so beautiful. We got there and we're like, fuck this place. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Um so I've got like a photo bucket list, obviously, like I want to shoot Paris, um, Greece. There's like a million places that I want to go and take pictures. Um, do you have a photo bucket list? And if so, what's like some things that you have on it? Hmm. A photo bucket list. Wow. Um, I want to shoot bigger Hollywood sets. That's on my photo bucket list. And I'm working on that right now. I'd love to put out a, a BTS book of like really beautiful sets, set work because the lights there with like some actors and things of that nature. Um, uh photo bucket list i would love to do some more work in in africa i haven't traveled like that through africa so getting there and 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 photographing possibly living for a few months to document would be really cool and uh man photo bucket list that's i don't know that's hard to say because like to me um life is so I just love having my camera on me. So when something interesting presents itself, I'm there for it. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't really have a bunch of images in my head that I can like pre-conceptualize and be like, "Oh, one day this is gonna happen." <laughs> it's more about just staying ready and being glad that I'm exactly where I was when it happened. That's really interesting, and I'm I'm thinking back now to the camera as like a, an anchor sort of thing because like my my main. Uh, camera is a EOS R with the 28 to 70 F2. Um, the lens is, ma- it's magic, and it's also fucking 91 pounds. It's super impractical, <laughs> yeah. and mm-hmm. I also have a Hasselblad. Uh, so you use that for professional work as well? Yeah, that's yeah, like that's dual. that's my professional work, and I, and I shoot a lot of medium format on uh, Hasselblad 500 CM, but I haven't taken the Hasselblad out in a while, and. Um, I think my, my dream camera was probably something like a Q2. Um, it's form and function and, you know, it does have a high enough megapixel where like a cropping situation could make it a commercially viable option. But I, I go through these phases of gear acquisition and gear shedding and it becomes like this mental game that I'm playing with myself. Like, well, if I only have the like M6, I can do XYZ. And oh, if I only got the Hasselblad, I could do XYZ. And I focus a lot less on what work do I want to create? Um, well, I used to. I think I've gotten to the point now where I'm very conscious of where I want to go with my journey and what I want to be doing three months from now, six months from now, a year from now. Um, and it has very little to do with what cameras in my bag. Although, you know, like a goals, obviously, (laughs) um, (laughs) from a career perspective, um, and, and, you know, you mentioned doing set photography and, and working backstage, uh, behind the scenes with movies. Do you have a dream project in your mind? Do you have something that you like would love the, you know, to be afforded the opportunity to make? from whether it's working. I mean, I would imagine you've already checked a magically huge bucket list item of being a like ambassador. That's like 
the pantheon of ambassadorship, in my opinion. Uh, it's all downhill from here. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I sure hope not. <laughs> Where am I going to go from here? Well, you can only Game go over. up. It's it's uh, it's only up from here. <laughs> well, somebody's going to have to top like a suit. So. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, but yeah, um, do you have like a, a dream project? Something that like it's just just like. A, a partnership a brand uh, a portraits f- a subject something that you are like well i would love to what i'm trying to do right now is get on the set of dune 2 that's oh. like that's a, that's a dream right now what i wish i could have gotten on the set of dune 1 but it never occurred to me that that was something i was interested in doing um so i'm kind of getting the wheels in motion for dune 2 if not dune 2 dune 3 nice. um, that would be a dream project uh i uh i am a true born and born and bred new yorker so i uh um don't have a driver's license i have a motorcycle license but not my driver's license and um pre-pandemic just before the lockdown i was riding across route 66 and photographing america i would love to continue doing that um but i need to get my license so that's a dream project where i can just keep documenting this country and focusing on the fact that i feel like a new yorker not an american it's (laughs) it's funny you mention that so when i lost my job last year I got a very, very generous severance package and I basically packed my car and I drove across the country for 6,600 miles, about 30 days, took thousands of photographs. And that's kind of when I figured out like what I wanted to spend my time doing with the rest of my life. Um, It was the greatest trip of my life. I hope to be able to replicate it again. Um, It was a life changing experience. It was an eye opening experience. It's like highly recommend um we can only dream to have those type of experiences yeah it's it's uh talking taking uh you know swallowing a shit sandwich and then like making something great out of it so it was like a really good (laughs) really good life lesson um i'm glad you mentioned i I didn't realize you had a motorcycle license but your motorcycle work i think was with harley davidson that you recently worked on uh yeah harley davidson was jason momoa's shoot so he was um he directed that okay. and he shot that. So he had all his sponsors there. So it was um, Guinness, Harley Davidson, Leica, Light Scene, and um, Red Cameras. Yeah, then uh, the images that you posted to your Instagram, and, and maybe I might have caught a YouTube video on it or not, um, were incredible. Um, Thank you. That is a, a lot of like fast paced action kind of gnarly work no joke (laughs) um how do you like gear up and prepare for like you know those are obviously digitally shot but like those are fast-paced rapidly moving decisions like talk me through like what that process was like in, in making those images yeah i mean the reality is is that uh as a photographer everything that you do up into the jobs is all practice right you're all it's it's just it's it's work for you to get ready to be able to be uh, in those moments, right? Mm. Like I can't fumble my camera once I get to the actual game, yeah, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> like you just practice all year so that when this happens, you know what to do. Um, so the reality is, is that like, you know, I was ready and the principles that I practice with my street photography, I, I use those same principles everywhere that I go. So no matter what it is that I shoot, my background is street photography. So if you're hiring me, it's because this is what you want, right? You want mm. this, this street vibe. So I approach that the same way that I approach street photography, except I get to get a little bit closer to my subjects, <laughs> you know, and they're all kind of like busy doing their thing. And I would just, so some of those photographs look like editorial. Yeah. Some of them look like street photos, you know, so this is a merging of the two things that I've trained myself, right? I, I, being on sets with Norman Jean Roy and Zenith and Paul Gilmore 
have trained me to do that editorial look where there's all those portraits of the bikers and it all looks like Ralph Lauren stuff. And then all the, the, the action stuff looks like street photography. So uh, I just made sure I had a uh, professional cameras to do that with, which I use my SL2 for. And then I use the Q2 because those type of things, it's like you can use manual focus on that. But um, the M is a different experience for me. That's my street photography camera. Um, motorcycles moving that fast. I needed something just a little bit faster. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit so, with like a, just a hint of autofocus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty honest about all that stuff is that like, as a photographer, you don't, I'm not someone that plans out everything that's going to happen, but I, uh, everything that I've learned is what prepares me for these moments. Hmm. Right. Cause I know what's going to happen when something is underexposed or overexposed or, okay, I have to shoot this at an incredibly low shutter speed. How do I get one that's like completely in focus even though there's no light, no, you know what I mean? It's completely dark in here. So I'll, I'll use tricks that I've taught myself like, okay, I, uh, if I have to shoot at a 30th of a second, I'm gonna shoot in ultra high burst mode because I know one of those photos is gonna be razor sharp. You know, it's tricks like that, right? So you're always practicing. That's why you should be pushing yourself, pushing your cameras, putting yourself in all these crazy situations so that when the opportunity comes, you're ready. Dude, I love that. Uh, you strike me as a, in an individual who's incredibly comfortable and confident in their skill set. Um, and I don't know if that's a factual statement or if that's just me projecting, you know, who I see <laughs> online to like, you know, the, your beautiful work, etc. Um, do you struggle with confidence issues at all? Like, you know, I, I, I kid often that the first five minutes of any photo shoot, any set, anything I'm doing, I'm like tremendously nervous until I fire the shutter for the first one. Um, but yeah. like, do you ever encounter those kind of feelings? Yeah, definitely. I think, I think, um, I think, like I said, everything that I've, every situation that I walk into, hopefully it's brand new. You know, I, hopefully I'm not just doing the same things over and over again, because then you're not really growing. Um, so with that newness, some fear definitely comes in whether or not you're good enough or, or these photos going to be great. But then the creative side of you starts to take over and, uh, all that knowledge comes to the forefront and you understand what needs to be done to create a good image. Um, I'm confident in my ability. If you put me in a situation, I know that I can handle it because I've, I, I lean back on all the knowledge that I've, that I've gathered throughout the years. And sometimes it takes reminding yourself of what you've done to build the confidence to approach something new. Hmm. And, uh, sometimes I have to psych myself up for sure, you know, but, um, in that process of psyching myself up, I, I usually come to the conclusion that I know that I'm the right person for this, for this job. <laughs> That's good. That's confidence. Yeah. 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 I, str I, I, I struggle that with, for just briefly five minutes, you know, either prior to, or during the process of pulling my camera out of my bag. And it doesn't matter whether it's like a, a, a model that I've shot with a hundred times or whether it's going out in the street for the thousandth time it's just very funny i think they're they're the imposter syndrome that i deal with is more focused on or or comes from a place of like who am i to think that i could be doing this and that's just like yeah. something that you've got to untrick your brain to think that way yeah for sure i mean you know i feel that way more when i'm working with models i've realized that throughout the years i'm not a fan of shooting models because for me it's i'm not somebody that i'm not like a happy-go-lucky photographer i'm not like trying to be like hey smile or do this or do that <laughs> you know what i mean and like i'm more looking for something and shooting models makes me nervous because if what i'm looking for isn't there then i, I know we're not going to get there because mm -hmm. i'm just looking for someone that's fascinating and that's part of 
the more interesting thing with shooting models is subject selection. So as I'm walking around outside, I'll see someone completely normal and they don't have to be a model, but something is fascinating about them and that's something I want to photograph. So I'm not necessarily looking for somebody that's pretty. I'm looking for somebody that's interesting. Yeah. And then I'll want to take their portrait. Mm -hmm. um, but if I'm just dealing with a standard model, well, that can make <laughs> me nervous because I just don't, I, I just, I don't care to uh, model the model. <laughs> yeah, no, I, <laughs> so I hear speak. that. I, I, I think my some of my favorite model shots are typically throughout the course of the shoot. It's like those alter in between moments. Candid, kinda, yeah, right. Yeah, the candid stuff. This yeah. not the planned. It's the thirty seconds where they're going for the other look that makes the mm -hmm. best picture. Um, Absolutely. When you're in the streets, do you see like whether you have a camera in your hand or not? Does life appear to you in a frame? Does life appear to me in a frame? I'll give you an example. Um, when I'm out in the street and I see people, and I think this is because I just really just dove so hardly into street photography, I see people, places, and things through like frame lines, like through the lens of mm. my camera. And I'm mm. just wondering if I'm a weirdo or if that's like a common thing. <laughs> no, that's great. That sounds fascinating. That sounds like something I should be thinking about. I should be putting up those uh, those kind of imaginary frame lines on the scene. And I don't do that. I kind of, again, like the way I approach things is so subject first mm -hmm. that I will try to steal the moments before asking for a photo. Um, and I've given myself permission to do that just from reading and doing research like Rob, uh, not Rob Gibson, sorry, Bruce Davidson's Subway book where he, a lot of those portraits in there are so strong. And uh, he talks about approaching people and asking for portraits in that book. And I don't care. I don't care about this bruising the scene stuff. I, I can't be bothered with that shit. I'm here to create my images, mm -hmm. not be told how I should be creating images. So I approach people. I talk to them. I don't care about bruising the scene. It's more about that person. And one of the things that he says when he approached people was like, how do I get you back into that place that you were before I approached you? You know, and he'll talk to them and say, you know, what were you thinking about? You know, where, where you kind of were zoning out a little bit, what was on your mind? And he's like, if you wouldn't mind getting back to that place, I'm just going to step out and just kind of let you get back to what you're doing. But I just wanted to ask you if it was okay that I photographed you. Wow. You know, that's super so interesting. I'm, yeah, I'm so interested in the people. And, uh, uh, that's, that's what I see when I walk out, I just hone in on a person and it's like everything around them doesn't even matter anymore. Hmm. I like that. That's pretty interesting. Um, What's like the what are you most proud of about your career to date? Uh, honestly, shooting for a company as prestigious as Leica. I just got back from Germany and um, we had a huge tour. It was the Leica Hall of Fame. We're in Wetzlar and they showed us everything. They put us up at a, a hotel. They put me up in a hotel, uh, Leica, the Lights Hotel, which is yeah, on the same property. <laughs> it's just it's on the same property, and my uh, my window was like right at the corner overlooking. Um, like as the the manufacturing and the museums and it was just it was such a surreal moment and to go through the the history of that company and it, I just felt such an immense amount of pride to be shooting with this brand um, around those people meeting the VPs and they all knew my work it was a it was a it was a incredible moment that's you know, fucking it was definitely awesome. a high yeah that's yeah I mean that's incredible that's awesome so, do you have right, like a nice. do you have like a a biggest regret. Like, do you look at anything work-related, photo-related? And I'm not talking about, like, yeah, gear actually. stuff, but, like, yeah. Yeah, no, gear is a regret. I think my biggest regret is not being, like, uh, business-minded. Hmm. I think I regret... I think I regret whoring myself out for a brand 
before the brand was interested in me. And I think that is also, uh, we are all casualties of social media and wanting brand recognition that I sat here and sold, who knows, countless Fuji cameras <laughs> for company for free. Yeah. <laughs> like that's definitely my biggest regret. I should have focused on the photography more so than a brand. Um, but, you know, you live and you learn. Don't. You're, as a photographer, focus on your work not the brand. You know what I mean? If I just talked about the work, the work spoke for itself. Like, yes, people wanted Fuji cameras. That's a separate conversation. But the fact that I sold something for a brand when they didn't ask me to is definitely a big regret of mine. <laughs> I think that's a really, really valuable lesson. Uh, for sure. Um, I look at it like, uh, similarly to, uh, obviously I, I don't have like a beating down my door to, to sponsor me, nor, nor Fuji or Sony or <laughs> Canon or anyone. But I look at it like when I'm, when I want to produce work and, and I'm really starting to find my niche as being concert photography. I think, um, I've had the, the ability to shoot some really cool bands. And additionally, I've got some really great concerts that I'm shooting coming up that I'm super stoked about. But I think that even when like a band DMs me and asks me to shoot for them, it's like super important for me to be like, listen, I would love to work with you. I would love to capture this moment for you. But like my time is valuable. The post-production work is valuable. And then this is not something that I can just do for free. Like my time is valuable and you've reached out to me for a reason. And I think if people can start um, kind of understanding the value and the work that they provide, that it will give them the confidence to be able to ask for what they want. Mm hmm. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. And uh, that's just a standard that we all have to set for ourselves. You know, um, if you're out here just doing free work, uh, I mean, great, sure, learn, shoot as much stuff as you can for free until you learn. But once you feel like your time is worth something, then you need to make that change and switch over to getting paid for what you're doing. Yeah, you don't uh What's this? You don't. You can't buy groceries with Instagram likes. So. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And even till this day, you be surprised. I still get people asking me to shoot shit for free. Asking me to share. They'll give me exposure. I'm like. Yeah. I'm like ah. Uh... <laughs> it just really blows my mind. Yeah. Not 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 so much. Um, yeah. I uh, I like to spend the last bit of uh, every episode kind of doing like a little rapid Q and A. Some are super easy. Some are super in depth just meant to be like a really quick first thing that comes to your mind kind of thing. What is yeah. your favorite book? Uh, the Art of Love by Eric Fromm. Hmm. I've actually read that. Um, what's your favorite movie? My favorite movie would have to be Night of the Demons, 1985. Oh, interesting. <laughs> That's an interesting choice. I've watched that movie so many times. It's like <laughs> uh, do you watch a lot of photography documentaries? I don't. I, I look at photography books. I don't watch a lot of photography documentaries. Interesting. I should because everybody's always like, have you seen this? And I'm like, no. And I feel bad. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Um, what's your favorite food? Uh, whew, that's a difficult one. It's definitely a toss-up between Spanish food and Chinese food. <laughs> that's fair. Um, Shitty New York food, you know? <laughs> the greasier the better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, do you believe in an afterlife? Oh man, I I don't, but I would love to be proven wrong. Yeah, that's fair. Um, are you happy? Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty happy. I'm pretty happy. That's good. Um, it's hard to keep me down. So <laughs> I mean, that's a great attitude. 
I had a rough week, and uh, I think it took almost getting killed to uh, kind of snap me out of that funk. But it's, am- it's amazing yeah, what a ne- that, huh? <laughs> it's, am- it's, it's amazing what a near death experience will do for a person. <laughs> what uh, what's the best piece of advice someone's ever given you? Uh, actually, the best piece of advice anybody's ever given me was from my mom. She was like, "Don't sacrifice um, your happiness for someone else's." Ooh, that's good. What is your best piece of advice for someone who's hearing you on this podcast for the first time? Best piece of advice. Find your voice. Find your voice. I always, I always find that to be incredibly, even if it upsets people, find your voice. Because I think it's very easy to want to just be likable or say things that will please people. Uh, But when I was 19, I realized that I was just talking and I was just saying things that people wanted to hear. And I got tired of doing that. And I think I turned into the person that I was supposed to be because I wasn't upset or afraid to speak my mind and Mm. upset people. That's crucial. Find your voice. That's great. Mm -hmm. I like that. Um, Last question. What's like uh, a recommendation for something that you've consumed lately that you think everyone should check out? Could be a book you've read, movie, TV show, just something that you've Mm -hmm. consumed lately um, that you think everyone should check out. (laughs) I'm going to go with a YouTube channel and say, uh, look up the dress up gang. Uh, these guys, there's a video called Cute House uh, from the Dress Up Gang on YouTube that just recently went viral, and it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. It's like 1980s and early 90s family sitcom <laughs> style of a YouTube channel. They do some sketches, but like they nail it, and it's very, very funny. <laughs> nice. I'll check that out. Uh, Jason, dude, I... Uh, to, this is uh, I said it before we got on the air. This is a super full circle moment for me in my journey from photography perspective, from like a life perspective. To have you on uh, the podcast today, I'm, I'm immensely appreciative of your time today, and uh, you're such a huge inspiration for me, not just creatively, but just you're you're a good dude with good vibes. And uh, just want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, John. Thank you. Seriously, this was a, this was a pleasure, and it's such an honor to be on here, man. Uh, this was really fun, and I I have no doubt that. It, you're going to take this as far as you'd like to. Awesome. Thank you so much, man. Yeah. All right, brother.